0: just moved to santa carla california they're about to discover its
1: secret notice anything unusual about santa carla yet no it's a pretty cool place
2: if you're a martian
1: or a vampire <laughs>
0: brother sammy help me stay back stay
2: back what's happening to
0: me star get yourself a good sharp stick drive it right to his heart you're a vampire michael my own brother a damn blood-sucking vampire oh you wait till mom finds out buddy when a vampire buys it it's never a pretty sight Michael come!
2: McCa-
3: Uh this Sunday for me? Were you able to get a line singing early?
4: Yeah, bag secured. Going tomorrow.
3: Oh shit. How are you feeling about it?
4: Did you read the excerpt from the letterbox review I sent you yesterday?
3: Uh, yeah, I did.
4: That's about how I I'm worried it's going to be.
3: <laughs> I mean <laughs> I don't think it can be worse than kills, but um...
4: It yeah, didn't say uh, it was gonna be worse.
3: We'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot, maybe. Did you did you do any rewatching at all? No. Oh wow, damn. Uh, <laughs> not even 18.
4: I'll probably watch 18 after this because it's kind of a comfort watch for me at this point. Okay. But I will not be watching Kills again, especially because it's not even a direct sequel to Kills.
3: Well, it could be. You know, well, it takes we,
4: place four years later. It's not a direct sequel.
3: I mean, it's not directly, but four years before. I
4: don't. Years. I don't understand. I'm like, it's not a direct sequel, and you're like, it, directly, it's not direct. Directly, and I'm like, right. So we're <laughs> saying the same,
3: the same words. So, well, I mean, it's it is it's following kills, so it is in the lineage. But it's not like, you know, four hours later. It's
4: unlike little, the last one, which was,
3: you know, it's a little what's a little uh, 48 months, you know, what's what's that to. So is this like what Uh, 20 is it like 20.
4: It's 2022.
3: Oh, OK, so OK, so we're caught up. So we're caught up, okay. which is why
4: it's a metaphor for COVID, I guess. I don't no. know. Some of the things that he has said about this movie are the reason I am like...
3: If Michael Myers pops up with a K N nine five mask, that would actually be pretty great.
4: We wouldn't be able to see it. I imagine he would wear it under.
3: I mean, his, his He's mask... He's
4: sandwiching. Gonna,
3: his mask is going to come off. Like, we... You know, I I don't think it's spoiling anything, but we we know no, the, the mass is coming.
4: The trailer, up. we know it's gonna happen because the. Tra- I also think that the trailer maybe blew it.
3: I think the trailer is a smokescreen. I think everything that we see in a trailer is gonna be like some trauma fever dream that. I admire she your has. faith,
4: but also I don't <laughs> think Blumhouse is always that smart. Oh man.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, so on a scale of 1 to 10 for hope, are you just a flat out, like, 2 that you have hope it'll be good?
4: My hope is at, like, a 6. My expectation is at, like, a 2.
3: Alright. I guess I'm about at that point. Well, I think for all movies, I really try to hamper expectations, so I really try to keep everything as neutral as possible, but... Yeah. I mean, we, we both agree that Kills was, was really not it in in the worst possible way. So I'm just going to assume that they saw the criticism of it. They saw not it wasn't a backlash or anything, but they saw how people really didn't like it. And maybe they had a, a, a come to Jesus moment. You never know. But Yeah,
4: I, I just hope that it feels like it matters and not in a way of like we decided that it matters ah like i want it to (laughs) end i want it to matter i want there to be like meaningful relationships that are are concluded or something
3: yeah so uh no uh no uh was Sam Hain in the in the first three they're talking about. No uh no <laughs> So I'm actually rewatching um I don't think I'm gonna go to the zombies uh zombie movies, but I'm re watching the Halloween's and Halloween two is, is really it was really rough. I actually used to like it, but I don't think I like it that much anymore.
4: <laughs> Which ha- Halloween two? Yeah. I um, actually I really quite enjoyed it on the rewatch. Not because it's, like, good necessarily, but I do like the idea of a Michael not in Haddonfield. So the idea that, like, okay, I don't love that, like, he and Laurie are, like, siblings or whatever, but the idea that he, like, as far as he's concerned in his, like... Because Michael's a child. Like, he, he is killing the babysitters that are endangering the children by not paying adequate attention to them. I think that there's something to be said of, in his child brain... Him going, I can't. I didn't get to finish the job, but I heard she's here now, and putting him in different locations is a side effect of that.
3: Yeah, I, I think my problem with it, I watched it. I watched the original Halloween yesterday, and then I watched Halloween two today, and the the, the tonal whiplashes is, is is a little too much for me. Uh, but maybe if I watch it next year, maybe I'll like it again. Because I always used to like to, and then now I'm just. I like I just, four too. I'm actually gonna watch four either tonight or tomorrow, so we'll see if I like that. I don't. I don't remember four. Is that the one with the little girl comes in, or is that five?
4: That's four. Four uh, is also
3: gross. I mean, we just had the Evil Dead's one and two, so I think this is gonna be a gross month. But speaking of not gross, let's, let's kick things off with a favorite of yours. Let's kick let's kick it off with The Lost Boys.
4: This movie fucks so hard.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Why does it fuck so hard?
4: First of all, I feel like it is perhaps the Joel schumacher in in like a complimentary way. Okay. Like this is to me a film where I feel like everything about like Joel Schumacher as a director works really well. So between like the weird like aesthetic sensibilities that he has and and his kind of propensity for over the top character characterization all just fits in together and kind of creates this movie that even if it's not your type of movie or your favorite movie, it is a perfect puzzle piecing together of stuff. Yeah. Even if it's not like your favorite picture on the puzzle. And I appreciate that. It also really perfectly, like, encapsulates this slightly different vampire vibe. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily about, like, elegance and, like, slow seduction. Like, no, they're all fucking horny teenagers still.
3: (laughs) Yes, very much so.
4: And that, to me, is interesting. And I also think that—and we'll we'll, uh, crack some of this open later because, like, I have books We really went for it. But like the head vampire, like wanting a family and knowing that he can't like get one through traditional means, but trying to make it as like intuitive a choice as possible is so interesting and weird. And like that's (laughs) so much more of a better take than like horny man wishes to eat woman. That's so much (laughs) better.
3: Okay, all right.
4: And I appreciate that like, it takes the, the trope set and iconography of vampirism, but does something slightly different with it than the Dracula story. Yeah. And I think that works really well. If anything, it comes across like almost like a Peter Pan story. I'm sure that's deliberate, because Peter Pan's friends are called the Lost Boys as well. But <laughs> I think that, to me, is a very refreshing take about it, and I think that it creates a really cool space for this movie to exist. And this movie has a cult following. Like I know this still, I have friends who go to a lost boys themed LARP every year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah.
3: All right.
4: I think this is a movie for a lot of people. It was the first time that they saw vampires outside of the context of Dracula. Yeah. That's netted us a bunch of like cool, horny vampire goth nights. And sure. That's probably also netted us twilight. But cool, horny vampire (laughs) dance nights are great.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you can can see the lineage from this leading up to Twilight, so I agree with that.
4: Yeah, but you can also see it in the way people dress to go out still.
3: Yeah, the fashion of this movie really threw me, but in a super nostalgic and a super fun way. I think this may be the most 80s dressed of any movie that we've seen. I mean, yes. <laughs> I know that when Harry met Sally, it's actually so funny. Like, Harry met Sally in this film are really two different dichotomies because you have like the one like 20 something, 30 something, even 40 something year old dress when Harry met Sally, but Lost Boys is like the street, like urban, like city yeah. wear. And. I really, I found a lot of fondness for it. Even though I, I didn't necessarily, you know, come of age in the 80s. But the iconography there is, is so,
1: <laughs> it's yeah. so funny.
3: Like the, the big ass shoulder jackets, like like the, the pops and the loud colors and the grunge, uh, pre-grunge era. Like that was really fun to experience. The
4: Jim Morrison poster, just like in the background of like every <laughs> shot. yeah the movie i feel also does a really great job of and this will make a little more sense like later but like the younger brother doesn't immediately throw out the older brother because he's a vampire he tries to figure out how to help yeah he's still his brother and he knows this even though this has happened to him
2: open up
0: stay back stay back sammy help me open up help me sammy open the window i knew it i am not so where are you I'm your brother, Sammy! Help me!
2: Sammy, open up!
1: What about mom?
0: Just don't don't tell her anything.
1: I don't know, Mike. It's not like getting a D in school or something, you know?
4: I was reading this really interesting article, and it also comes up a lot. In the, the book I'm reading right now is The Monster Show by David J. Skull. I skipped to the vampirism in the 80s and 90s chapter. There's some really interesting discourse that Joel Schumacher, a queer man, wrote a queer and HIV acceptance and care fantasy with the Lost Boys. Okay. And the idea is that your family realizes that you are different and does not shun you. They try to figure out how to help you. They figure out that you've been afflicted with something they don't understand, and they try to help you. They try to cure you. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, your community rallies around you to try to protect you. And even the thing that they perceive as bad at the end of the day is also about wanting community and to feel accepted and cared for. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, the more that I'm reading about this, the more I'm like, holy shit. (laughs)
2: Because there's
4: also, like, a bunch of the child choir is very subverted church music. The more I started looking at all the different pieces of iconography and, and the picture they make together, zooming out, 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 I was like, holy shit. This is about so much more than it's about.
3: Yeah, I'm glad that you really brought up the brother's relationship. And in my letterbox review, I wrote that I fully understand now why the Corys were a thing. Because, like, Corey Haim, like, he's my favorite character in this movie. The spark of life that he brings, but then also the understanding and, like you said, like, the willingness to help his brother, even in the face of what could be perceived as, you know, doom. He still steps back, acknowledges that his brother is going through this terrible event and tries to do everything in his power and beyond his power to save him. And I greatly appreciated that performance and their relationship in the movie too.
4: Yeah. And even the, the comic book brothers (laughs) are trying to find a solution. They're trying to fix it. Yeah. And I think that there's something really interesting about that there are so many pieces of fictional vampire history. So whether that's through Bram Stoker or any of the other kind of existing narratives of vampirism, not being curable, it's an immediate shun. There is nothing you can do. You know, it's, it's too late. If you get too close to the person, it's, it's too late, whatever. Right. And there's some interesting research that I not research, but like, People have read journals and letters and things. I also have been watching Queer for Fear on uh, Shutter, which is a really great series that's worth checking out, where Bram Stoker was maybe gay. Oh. Or at least queer, but then Oscar Wilde went to jail. Okay. And Dracula is him not just writing about a, a queer relationship that he had had at one point, but also has, has turned it into a revisionist history of him killing the evil. Okay. Because now he is straight and married and changed. And he like went on to talk about the plague of homosexuality. Wow. Even though like it's fairly well documented that he was at least in one queer relationship, possibly several. So even in Dracula trying to not be about queerness, there's still queerness baked into it. And so as a side effect of that, I know that he is not the only vampire, but he is a huge amount of the the kind of font of cultural knowledge. There is queerness baked into most vampire stories. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's very interesting seeing this one lean into it more as like a positive thing. Sure, the Lost Boys are bad news, but they have each other. They have a coven. They have a group. Yeah. They have support. They have a father figure. The father figure is doing all this to try to get them a mother figure. I think it is about, in a lot of ways, the conflict between the older son to decide which works better. Mm. But at the end of the day, if the sides were not forcing him to pick, it would be different, I think. And mm. so I also think it's it's trying to kind of point out some spots there, too.
3: All right. That's really interesting. I think you, you went deep in the well on that one. I think especially when the movie came out, I really remember just kind of like a cult following of it. But I think... Critically a lot of people Or at least a lot of famous critics at the time May have missed all of what you were putting down But I think what you're encapsulating Really goes beyond the surface So I I think that Even for people who just love this As an 80's vampire flick With you know Incredible music And this like grandiose style There is a baseline to it That should be further explored So I'm really happy you pointed that out
4: I mean this is one of the things that I felt fairly strongly about Schumacher's films for a while and like I'm not trying to make excuses for certain things but I I do feel that there is an attention that he paid in a way that a lot of people didn't realize at the time because they couldn't get past the icing to see that there was a the whole cake under there even in movies of his I don't particularly care for like The Phantom of the Opera I feel like is a great example where like he adds several scenes of talking that aren't in the show. But then I went to go see the show after having seen the movie and I was like, "Wait, so nobody like knows why any of this happens and they just all are like, "Yeah, it just happens." Like that <laughs> what? The stuff that he added to something that a lot of people already consider a whole cake, by the way, made it a a better cake even though it's not the flavor I like. Yeah. And not everything in that movie works and not everything in all of his movies work. But like if all of his movies were houses, all of them have a basement. They aren't necessarily a basement you want to go into,
3: but they all <laughs>
4: have basements.
3: Okay. Because I'm I'm thinking of the Batmans and uh... – <laughs> the, the
4: Batmans are two things. The first one is they said make us a movie that families will love and we can make toys of. And they said it, it can't be weird in the way that Batman Returns is weird.
3: Sadly, yes.
4: So he went in a very different direction with it. And I think forever works pretty well. And then Batman and Robin is really like, I read all these comics. I thought they were good. They said I couldn't use any of the ideas. I'm going to make a bunch of allusions to queer history, queer cinema, the present queer scene. And all of these normal people aren't going to know what hit them. (laughs) And like... That does work in the context of Batman. Unfortunately, in the context of the the film, because I think it did have to be PG and it did have to check all these other boxes that the studio wanted because they didn't want to have another Batman Returns. This is what we wound up with. Yeah. But it wasn't because of a lack of thought put in by the director.
3: Are you saying that we need to revisit Batman and Robin?
4: No. But I think there's a reason that that comes up a lot. There's a really great video by this essayist who I'm sure I've mentioned before. I've probably even mentioned this specific essay before by uh, Patrick H. Willems mm-hmm. about specifically the idea that the DC Comics has done recently that all Batman is canon, like all of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And it's, it's one continuous timeline of this person who it all has happened to this person. And... When they do Comic-Con exhibits now, they have the Batman and Robin costumes in there. And I think that by DC kind of letting those movies back into the fold in a way that they kind of pretended they didn't exist for a while, it's allowed a lot more of a a queer audience to come out and go, yeah, that's my thing. (laughs) I decided I wanted to do drag when I saw Poison Ivy. I realized I was queer when I did this or saw this or felt this. This was the first time I picked up on the the subtext and the relationship between Batman and Robin, whatever it is. Right. But because all those thoughts were in there, they were then realized.
3: OK, but let's pivot back to The Lost Boys, because I talked about Corey Hain and the relationship between Sam and Michael being something that I thought was not I thought like it is my favorite piece of the movie mm-hmm. from the character's perspective do you have any favorite characters or not even maybe favorite characters, but characters that you think are the most interesting that deserve a, a look?
4: I like the brothers a lot. I think that they're the heart of the movie and without them, the movie doesn't exist. Yeah. But I also think that there is like a fairly interesting thing going on with Diane Weist.
0: Wild kids. Oh,
2: they're just young. We were that age too when... Huh?
0: better. (laughs) Bye-bye. You have a generous nature. I like that in a person. My name's Max.
3: Okay.
4: Where she is finally in a place where she feels like she can regroup a little bit, and it's not glamorous, and it's not exactly what she wanted, but she's able to get a job. She's she's going on dates. Her kids are acting out. She doesn't know what to do about it, but she is just trying so hard to keep everything together while also trying to invest in herself after her husband... Divorced her.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
4: The fact that in almost every scene we see her, she's smiling until she has a reason not to.
2: <laughs> yes.
4: As a character choice, I find so interesting. The conscious choice that this character makes every day, like living in her father's weird hunting shack, <laughs> working at a video store in a, like, the murder capital of the, the world, is what they say, but it would have just been the United States but to still, like, smile until given a reason not to smile. It's such good character work that she's doing.
3: Yeah, I think the only thing that we watched of her so far was Edward Scissor's hands, but she's, like, the consummate 80s mom. Isn't she in the birdcage, too? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. I think my favorite movie of her, though, is from 89 Parenthood. That movie, I don't know if you ever saw it, but... She actually gives a really great performance in that movie. I feel like of 80s moms, actresses, I think she may be up there. Like, she's really, really a good actress.
4: Both her and Catherine O'Hara are often standouts Mm -hmm. for me in movies. I also think it's funny because I've been compared to Catherine O'Hara enough times that it seems slightly offensive at this point. (laughs) But that's fine. But yeah, I think that that dynamic is really interesting. I also like the Frog Brothers
3: Meet Edgar and Alan? Yeah. <laughs> that was a cute name. I was like, okay, you got it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: But that's also a very classic vampire movie of them. Yeah. But appreciate that even though they're, like, portrayed as on the other side of the tracks or violent or, like, this kid wants to be Rambo, look at the way he wears his headband, yeah. they still, again, try to figure out a way to help before they try to figure out a way to blow it up. They're like, oh, the brother can still survive, but we are gonna have to like do some messy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that a thing that Schumacher also does in a lot of his films, but I it in this one is he assumes the best of people. Mm-hmm. There's this idea of even if their motivations are like not correct, right? All of the Lost Boys in this movie's goal, fundamentally, basically, is to help Max get Diane Weist. Because they want a mom. And the way that they do this is they try to be real cool to the brother. Use it as a trap to get him and the brother to then get her. Right?
2: Mm -hmm.
4: Even if their motivation isn't good. Yeah. They just do it. And everyone who thinks they might be able to help. Help!
3: Yeah. What do you think about the character David and Keith or Sutherland's performance?
4: He's good. There's not a lot of character to characterize, I feel. But it kind of doesn't matter because he so thoroughly passes the vibe check.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: Like, I, I'm being very serious. Like, what is yeah, the tone of the movie without him?
2: Yeah.
3: I know that we agree that the brothers are it, but I think also in his character, fails. I guess maybe the stakes don't feel like anything or may, or maybe we just don't really believe in, in in the covenant, you know?
2: He
4: creates contrast, like we need him to see how good the brothers are. Yeah. And also just from like a bone structure perspective,
2: like <laughs> Hilarious.
4: he looks Oh, seriously, he looks so different. Yeah. The kind of swerve of Max actually being a problem is so funny to me because he's the one that looks so normal. He looks like he fits in with that family better than, like, Diane Wiest, objectively.
3: <laughs> yes, yes.
4: And, and all the Lost Boys are angular and blonde and, like, handsome, but handsome in a way that looks, like, creepy.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: Well, that's the point. Yeah. But still. <laughs> You know what I mean? They've got they've got those deep grooves under their cheekbones and really protruding brows which are objectively good looking but also monotonous enough to be a little threatening. Yeah. And also how most other vampires are described. And so for the the apple-cheeked little Max to be the vampire supreme is very it's a very clever subversion because he looks so much like the the normal humans. I don't know that this movie works without Keith Sutherland and the rest of the Lost Boys, though. I can't imagine a a group with that rapport and vibe that would land the same way.
3: Yeah, I appreciate Sutherland's intensity a lot. Yeah. He's menacing. He's menacing enough to not be cheesy, but still feel threatening. And then in the moments where he's trying to seduce, you know, Michael to the other side, all that's believable.
4: But also, he knows his camp points really well. Like, in a way yeah. that really works with the movie. Because even the movie is like, we're like serious, but we're like a little, they're a little not serious. And I think Sutherland is so in tune with that yeah. that he's kind of able to carry that. I won't even say goofy, because it's not quite, but like that wink and a nod subtext. I think he the, pretty much entirely carries.
3: Yeah, I think the railroad scene. Really kind of sums that up. That is the 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 marquee. That that's what you put in the trailer to get people's asses in the theaters, you know, back in the theaters. So those are really important scene
2: to pull off.
4: I don't think it's a perfect movie, by the way. It's kind of weirdly paced and it's a little stunted in some areas.
3: I but mean, well, the star character, I don't know. Do you really need her? I don't know, but yeah.
4: If you don't have her, it's too gay for 1987. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> touche
4: but I also think it to, to bring it back to the Peter Pan thing for a minute she's kind of the Tinkerbell
3: a bit, a bit, I see that
4: she's kind of the, the thing that makes it feel magical not just threatening
3: yeah, yeah, I mean she looked very magical indeed, so, yes
4: yeah, and I like the idea that they use her for that because they know they have it like she's bait she is textbook bait
3: absolutely yes absolutely yes and yeah it's not necessarily perfect so i gave it a three out of five on letterbox and there are silly moments but at the same time i don't care if something is silly as long as everyone is bought in and i think that for this one and you know i think a lot of like October and horror and scary movies like you need buy-in from everyone so if everyone's gonna yes. go camp it makes the audience want to go camp too so I think yeah. everyone bought in so I, I appreciated it anything else you want to shout out for Lost Boys before we did it
4: no I, I gave this one a three and a half because I think a lot of it is that it does just hit a lot of aesthetic buttons for me yeah that I really like And I also, I I guess this is a a shout-out in this case. The music of this movie.
3: (laughs) The muscle-bound singer at the very beginning. (laughs) Like, that was perfect. Don't even
4: get me started on Sexy Sax, man, okay? (laughs) We have a whole side podcast about just him. It's going to be six episodes Uh, in a movie.
3: You talk about going for it. He was going for it. He was going for it. Yeah.
2: To fight my way, will want give out, will want give in, this is our crime, this is our sin, but I still believe, I still believe, through the pain, through the grief, through the lies, through the storm.
4: The best movie possibly of all of Schumacher's that I've seen anyway of mm. like mix mix of camp and legitimacy. It felt like working during the week and going camping on the weekends because you loved it.
3: Ooh, I oof. have you seen Flatliners yet? No. Mm, I think. Oof. I think Lost Boys may do the camp better, but Flatliners has a lot of campiness to it That I definitely appreciated But I think the idea Of the balance That you're talking about Between both worlds I think I have to agree That Lost Boys is the best that he has done for that Of the movies that we've covered this year Or this this season I should say Is this your favorite? Let me throw out a couple of names That we covered E.T. Aliens plural, Moonstruck Still, Magnolias, Terms of Endearment, Dirty Dancing. I think maybe that is up there for you. Yeah. When, Her- when Harry Met Sally, Bull Durham. Definitely not Blonde. Uh, and definitely not The Evil Dead. So we can rule those out very easily.
4: This is definitely in the top three. I think for me right now, just looking at the list, it would probably be Dirty Dancing, When Harry Met Sally, Lost Boys, Bull Durham, and then Moonstruck, I think are my top favorites.
3: Oh right. so far, that Morrison poster was like a ghost throughout the whole fucking movie,
4: yeah, but also like Jim Morrison famously kind of a ghoul I mean who goaded yes, who goaded people into doing things they were uncomfortable with and yes. treated them like ass. No wonder those people idolized him. That's their whole <laughs> m o
1: very true, very, very true, live from an undisclosed location in a basement in New York City. It's me, Crank, ruler, well, mayor of Dimension X and the producer of the hottest new pod in that dimension or this one, The Shredhead Pod, starring the Blasian Batty, aka Google Chrome Dome, aka Ado Nobu Nigga, aka my best friend, Oroku Saki, aka The Shredder. And we put aside our differences with the Ninja Turtles to be your weekly source of hot takes, sports, and entertainment news. Stay all the way and hear who Saki has named as his cretin of the week. And find something valuable in the Shred Commendations. So we'll see you on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever your pods are casts. The Shredhead Pod is a member of the Hyphen Podcast Group.
0: What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human, something horrifying, something unspeakably evil, no one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy, I know that, but look, lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. would be the night of your life ah! fright night coming to your neighborhood this summer
3: pivoting to not necessarily my favorite vampire or not necessarily my favorite horror movie but a movie that i appreciated a lot when i watched it in high school i haven't i didn't watch it for like a number of years and i just rewatched it and I still have fondness over it, but let's kind of talk about 1985's Fright Night. So, was this the first time you've you saw Fright Night? Yes. And obviously we're, it's a it's a big tonal vampire shift from what the Lost Boys was.
4: Oh, I wholeheartedly disagree.
3: Oh, really? Okay.
4: This is if the Lost Boys was made by straight people.
3: Oh, okay. The reason I said it's different is because That familial piece of it, I don't necessarily think that piece is very much there, but let me pass the rock off to you. No,
4: so if we're just, if we're strictly speaking tone, I would argue that there is not a significant shift in tone between these movies. Okay. If we're talking about like subtext and stuff, then yes, there's a significant amount of difference. Although there is also objectively queer representation here.
3: Let's get into it. Let's get it.
4: So, first of all, I will just say, uh, this is the first time in my life that I was attracted to Chris Sarandon, and it made me upset. Um,
3: (laughs) Oh, this movie's big horny, boy.
4: I watched this movie with Greg, my friend Anders, and Anders' wife, Carrie. And I don't know that Greg knew what to make of how I was feeling about what
3: was going on. (laughs) It was a it was a low neck sweaters wasn't it? That neck it was, was out it was, boy.
4: There is just something about the very calm confidence that he projected in that movie. Man,
3: the way he was like gliding through the club, he wasn't walking, he was levitating above the dance floor.
4: We will get to the club because I have a lot of feelings about the club. <laughs> uh, specifically, did you watch the movie with like uh subtitles so you could see the lyrics?
2: No. Oh my. I,
4: I'm so glad they chose to go to club subtext.
2: <laughs>
4: there is just like a very calm confidence that he projected of just like, I will get you and you will like it. That was like very like,
3: you will like it. <laughs> <laughs> that show was great. That was great. <laughs> I know. But also,
4: I think the other thing that I appreciated about it is he was just kind of there to seduce everyone he was he he like came and was like oh i was just having drinks with your charming mother oh
3: (laughs) if if he didn't walk in his mom would have got it too
4: yeah no i'm like i'm here for it i like that their take is what if vampires were just horny for blood (laughs) yes and i i'm into that and i also like that (laughs) The the grand villain scheme is basically I'm gonna cuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. That's so true. <laughs> the only thing that I wish had happened is that it like I I wanted more of that. I wanted more of the interpersonal intrigue because the last third of this movie is just them like fighting in his house.
3: Yeah. And it is a. A log. Yeah, that, that I, piece of it is a little.
4: I rough, yeah. found myself checking my phone like twelve or fifteen times during that sequence.
3: Yeah, it's just a special effects orgy at that point.
4: So. It, it is, yeah, but it's not even that
3: special. Well, by the time, it kind of was a little bit, but yeah, I but, just, but a man. lot of
4: it's just like there are boxes in the basement. <laughs> like Listen, sure, <laughs> fine, okay.
3: Let's ooze green goo out of this half vampire half human being.
4: Uh, that was fine, but like all of that could have been condensed into like maybe 15 minutes instead of 40.
3: Evil dying like and taking like 5 minutes to die. That was a little bit rough.
4: I see, I was hoping that they were going to like this is when it was going to tilt into like wait, is this a comedy? I don't think this is a com like but that like uncomfortable place that sometimes horror movies go. Yeah. Where you're like uncomfortable for so long you start laughing but it it didn't do that enough
3: yeah and even that like the evil dying part i think it hit me this time around i was like we're just watching an old man murder a teenager and him feeling very bad about it but can we you know let's move beyond these complex feelings a little bit so
4: yeah but also if that was what they chose to invest in right if they were like let's really examine how people feel killing vampires that were once their friends. Yeah. Or at least people they knew. That's interesting, but they don't really invest in that. They just invest yeah. in like, ah, oh, the youth <laughs> that seems to be about all he feels, but also he thought Ed was annoying the whole time. So I feel like he was kind of, even though he was like, I hate killing children. There was part of him that was happy that he didn't have to deal with that children anymore. <laughs>
3: Big, it wasn't, at least it wasn't me vibes.
4: Yeah. I know at one point, apparently, Peter Cushing was approached for this role. Oh, really? Yeah. And he was like, no. No, (laughs) and fuck you. But I do wonder if the kind of deftness of those feelings between, like, thank God that kid is dead. Ugh. And I can't believe I just had to do that to a child and I can't believe I wasn't able to protect that child from that in the first place. I don't know if he maybe would have had more ability to express that blend, but I did not really pick that up from from that particular actor. And so then making it that drawn out just made it very clear how not in anybody's like league they were.
3: Yeah. We kind of talked about the camp of Lost Boys. I think my favorite part I don't know if this is considered easter egg or not But I love this shitty Vampire tv show Like tv movie that they had In the beginning Where he's trying to do the stake in the heart But the stake is backwards That was a pretty silly ass gag But the silliness of this movie I appreciate it It does a little bit I would say a little more comic on the nose Than the lost boys But I appreciated that for this one Even still
4: Yeah, but also, like, Dandridge is still legitimately threatening.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yes. (laughs) Hello, (gasps) everyone. You don't have to be afraid of me. I know what it's like being
0: different. Only they won't pick on you anymore. Or beat you up. I'll see to that. All you have to do is take my hand. Here, Edward. Take my hand.
4: In, in, in a way that I think works really well. Like, the, the thing that I like about these movies is that in both cases, the threat is threatening. Yeah. Without these movies, I don't know that we get Scream. Mm. I'm not saying these movies specifically, but these type of movies.
3: No, yeah, like, of all the wild stuff that the 80s gave us, if you look at these two movies, then, like, a movie like Die Hard, they understand the stakes of having a great villain. So the 80s did give us that, and, you know, capitalism and crack, but that's another conversation. But but we we had a talk about... Ronald
4: Reagan's coming down the track, gonna sell (laughs) some crack. Anyway, yeah, no, I also think, though, that self-awareness... Even metatextual self-awareness is a big hallmark of the 80s. Nightmare on Elm Street starts to do these, too. Yeah. And, And I think that that is, like, the success of those and the success of movies like these, which are not quite as, like, on the nose about it as the Nightmares, but still exist in that, like, space between, allow for other stuff like that. And it also allows for shit like Gremlins, too. (laughs) just just being honest here and that's kind of part of the reason why i actually decided to start reading like this book and i've been enjoying the queer for fear series so much uh is because a lot of i think in the 80s is when we get to acknowledge that in a lot of ways horror is about otherness while also acknowledging some of the like other hallmarks of that otherness yeah and even if this movie is Kind of straight. Dandridge is definitely fucking his human familiar. Bitch, I'm telling you the truth.
3: <laughs> yeah. At least getting a handy every now and then.
4: Yeah, and like, <laughs> and, and the fact that the movie makes such a non-issue of it.
3: Yeah, that's just it's his like answer. Of it.
4: Pretty revolutionary for 1983.
3: <laughs> 85,
4: 85. 85, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, he is fucking a teenager, so we should probably think about that. But it's it, we don't have to think about it a lot.
3: So not a lot. He, he's, like, 800 years old, you know? It's, it's, he should know better. He it's should definitely know better.
4: It's the same issue that's brought up in Twilight. Yeah. It's fine. Um, But also, <laughs> like, yeah, I would.
3: I mean, yes, she was, she was very right. Also, I think we can now pivot to... Jerry the sex god.
2: He was okay. okay. One... The fact
4: the fact that his name is Jerry is the only problem I have with this movie. <laughs> that has to be a covered name. His so, name... <laughs> I I just like everyone's like, "Oh, it's Dandridge." And I was like, ima- "Imagine every time they were like, but Dandridge is a vampire and instead they said Jerry is a vampire." Like Oh my god. Okay. It's it's like if you go through the whole Matrix movie and remove Neo and call him Tom every time. It doesn't work.
3: <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> but he was pulling some bad ones. Oh, oh he had a he had a roster. Like,
4: and and he had portraits of the roster. Like, he had painted portraits of the roster.
3: This is a coxman from generations ago.
4: He is significantly older than I thought in real life.
3: When he recorded this, he would have been about (laughs) 43-ish. Now, knowing that tidbit, we have to now pivot to the dance floor scene.
4: I, I just need to know what he uses to moisturize.
3: He was smooth as a baby's ass. He had it all going.
4: I... That means he was like almost 50 in The Princess Bride.
3: Princess Bride was 87, Seven. so. 45. 45. So yeah. So
4: he was 50 in The Nightmare Before Christmas.
3: 51. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey man, listen. You know, we don't control when we're born. We just got to live our lives, cat. Uh, and he married Susan Sarandon.
4: He has a podcast.
3: Oh, he went to WVU. Oh, shit. He's from West Virginia. That's so funny. Shout out to this guy.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. He has a podcast.
3: I mean, hey, come on the show. <laughs> he has a
4: podcast about cooking.
3: Okay, see, now the legend of this character and this actor is growing more and more by the second cat.
4: I, I, uh, I gotta get on this fucking podcast.
3: Hey, look, we're, we're, I don't know if we're gonna add him with this episode, talking about how He's gonna be he deeply
4: uncomfortable, but like maybe <laughs> in a way that makes him feel sexy and wants him to hang out with the people that think feel that way. Okay, so, I like that scene a lot. Not just for boring reasons.
2: Okay.
4: I felt the power dynamic was very strong and interesting. And I appreciate that, even though the movie was never like, but he's old, why is he hot? Like, there was kind of, like, a weird, he's old and we know he shouldn't be, like, doing this, but also, like, we know he's a vampire, so we need to go along with it to keep everyone else safe. Yeah. Which... It's like a very real societal pressure, especially on young women.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: But I also think it's very funny that all the the songs in the club were like, this is wrong, but it feels so right. I never <laughs> thought I would want this. When he looks at me like that, I'd do anything he said. <laughs> all of it is so on the nose and terrible.
3: It is. It's terrible, but... I was as,
4: just waiting for, like, I would stick my neck out, and he would bite me and turn me into a vampire, and I would be like, cool. Hilarious. That's the, like, level of on the nose. One, I think one of them was literally like, he's a monster. And I was like, <laughs> oh, is he movie? Is he?
3: <laughs> hilarious. I mean, but as the youths like to say... They choosing, and she was choosing, and, and and Brewster was not getting chose.
4: Except that she was not choosing.
3: Ooh. Actually, you know what? That, let's he have this conversation. He straight up
4: casts Glamour on her.
3: <laughs> is it, or is he just looking at her and just standing still?
4: All right. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to get on my vampire soapbox and talk about how they basically have roofie magic? Because I will.
3: <laughs> I think mean, he just did.
4: <laughs> like, in many iterations of the myth, they have this ability to basically cause calmness and feelings of trust, almost like being sedated, mm. so their victims wouldn't shout, so they could, like, feed in back alleys without people noticing. It's pretty clear that that's what he was doing. Well, yeah. But also, I'm sorry, if someone old enough to be your parents... Is looking at you like that in a bar and you're 17 years old 16 16 we'll say 16
3: (laughs) we don't even know
4: (laughs) and you know you're not supposed to be in the bar there is something to be said for the dynamic of like this older man thinks i'm hot Mm -hmm. never even mind like the toxicity of that but for a lot of people that is like a weird like moment of so what do i do and that seems to be how he gets her initially, but then as the time goes on and they have more face-to-face contact, that's where the glamour comes in. And it, it's pretty clear that when he notices Brewster noticing, that's when he starts making her do sh- provocative shit.
3: The dancing, you know, we talked about dirty dancing doing the freak. I mean, that's in the neighborhood. That is in the neighborhood.
4: Right, but he does that specifically to try to like get Brewster to come rescue her from her like from his degeneracy. <laughs> Like, that's the thing that gets him, like, more upset and, like, we've got to save her than even the fact that, like, he's a vampire, really.
3: Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is, with Dan Church's character and even Amy, do we even really care about Charlie? I kind of care about the old man, but do we even care His about first Charlie? first
4: one was Charlie?
3: <laughs> exactly. It doesn't even matter. It does not even matter.
4: I mean, no... And I kind of hoped that the stakes were going to actually kind of matter. Like, it wasn't all going to neatly resolve into a clean little bow, except for Evil, but Evil was also super annoying. Also, did you, perchance, take a gander at Evil's letterboxed bio?
3: No, hold
2: on.
4: Ah, uh, may I share this with you?
3: Yes, you may.
4: Stephen Jeffries is an American actor who started his career in mainstream movies and on Broadway. After receiving a Tony nomination for his acting work, he made the decision to enter the adult industry, performing in over two dozen adult gay films.
2: Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs>
3: oh, man. I sure know how to pick them. I showed how to pick these movies, cat. other than Evil Deads.
4: I looked that up in the middle of the movie after, you're so cool, Brewster. Uh, and then I was like,
3: oh. So you're saying you have not checked out his adult work. That's it. That's what you're saying right now, though.
4: Not, Not at this time.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that porn may be so old, it may not even be online anymore. <laughs> that's a VHS-only find.
4: I'm sure if I were to, like, get googly with this, I could find something.
3: I mean, hey, that's that's what the internet gave us, a gateway to porn.
4: Do you want me to link you when I find it? Is that what you're asking? Um,
3: No, no, thank you. I'll pass. But I appreciate the consideration. <laughs> okay. I appreciate the consideration.
4: Are we gonna share it on the show Twitter?
3: If you give me the green like, at we will we will link erotica.
4: I feel like maybe we shouldn't. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, maybe not.
4: I feel like we've got a good podcast going here.
3: Oh <laughs> uh, man, I think I think we rebounded from the Evil Dead speed bumps. So hopefully Halloween ends. It's not another speed bump. Hopefully when we record, it will be a joyous occasion.
4: Even if it's bad, I hope it's interesting.
3: Ultimately, I think that's kind of what you want from a movie. Have have some level of interest that you can at least see where they were going, even if they missed the exit. Like, you can at least see where they wanted to go. Because kills... <laughs> that killed me, brother. <laughs> that shit was not good at all.
4: Yeah, no.
2: If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us 5 stars, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Cat at Cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Show Showin Maglove, S H O W I N M A D L O V on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime.
3: This is a hyphen podcast production.
2: Are you not a deter-